Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and uh, how many get tomorrow off work? Uh, oh, it's today is, but how many get tomorrow off work? You get tomorrow off, Jim? Good for you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your service, Marine Corps over there, Air Force, Army. Do we, do we have any Navy guys? Any naval personnel? Any people in bell bottoms? No. Uh, Coast Guard, yeah. Thank you, though, for your service and uh, we're key part to the freedom that we experience as a church. It's been something established in our country a long time ago, so thank you. That's As we continue reading through Luke's testimony, this week pausing Luke into Luke chapter 9, Jesus knows that there's been a lot of things that have been said about him out in the marketplace, and he's asked his, his disciples the question, what are people saying about me? Jesus' conversations are something that really uh, I was a little bit, um, I wouldn't say nervous, but I was concerned not too many years ago when it seemed like some of the th Bible preaching, we were on the brink of seeing that be, being called hate speech in our country. And uh, so it, it has been a concern of mine, and sometimes Jesus' conversations are viewed as hate speech by some people, and then other times that same direct Jesus conversation mm, uh, can put people to sleep, like no reaction as well. Um, but his name can stir up uh, a mob, and other times can put some people to sleep. Who is Jesus? It's a critical question for us today to consider as Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say I am, and who do you say that I am? Lots of varying opinions in the marketplace uh, around us surrounding the name of Jesus. In Jesus' days, there were questions as well. Even though he was cranking out more miracles than all the other prophets that had come before him combined, he not only performed miracles of every type, healing the sick, casting out demons, uh, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, even raising folks from the dead. And it would appear that the social circles were talking about him as well. Is he, who, who are they saying I am? Is he a prophet? Is he from God? Uh, but because there's so much division. Listen, once when Jesus, Luke chapter 9, was praying in private with his disciples, were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And he re they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. Matthew, when he records this, he adds Jer that one, one of the disciples said Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Mark records the same thing, saying John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. That everyone has these opinions, all the conversation around the, the water cooler, the well, um, uh, around their, their, their office or the break room, you know, right in the field where they were working. Their social gatherings centered around what Jesus was doing and what he was saying. And there was a lot of people weighing in on their 
estimation of what was going on and who he, who he was. How can this be? Some of the religious leaders even said, uh, we say he's from the devil. Listen to Matthew chapter 12. They, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished. They, and they, this is what they said. They were astonished. Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Oh, mama mia, mama mia. That this fellow drives out demons. The people were astonished. Is this the son of David? Is this the guy? The powerful religious leaders didn't recognize his lordship. As a matter of fact, they were hostile towards him. Listen to John chapter 8. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of direct right in Jesus' face, right? He says, I'm not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Like he's been gone for hundreds of years. Truly, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The people seemed to sway back and forth. In Luke chapter 8, where we were at just last week, they're, they're reaching out to touching him. The, the crowds are pressing in all around him. And they go from, in, in the next chapters of Luke, they go from, uh, Hosanna in the highest, the Lord saves us. And we know just a few days later to crucify him, crucify him. Back to Luke chapter 9, verse 20. Jesus continues his conversation. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, or you're God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus basically says to them, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? I am. I'm the one. I, I, I'm, it's really happening in your lifetime. I'm the one. But, 
but don't tell anyone, okay? Because first, there's some other things that have to happen. And I don't know how they could miss it, how they could forget this. Maybe when Jesus transitions, says the Son of Man must must be rejected by the elders. He thinks he's talking about somebody else, another, another key player. You know, John the Baptist was arrested and his head was cut off. And so maybe there's another player, another, another person of God who's in on this. So these other things have to happen, must be arrested, beaten, executed, and three days raised to life. And maybe they thought Jesus is going to be the one that raises him to life. And then that'll be another endorsement of, you know, as if he needed another miracle uh, to endorse what he's doing. But for now, he says, don't tell anyone. And there will be a time very soon where I want you to tell the whole world. And although I've chosen you and let you in on the secrets of the kingdom, these privileges, these, this insight into what life is all about, it's going to end up costing you your whole life. See, most people would daydream about power and prestige and being on the inside and with the Jesus movement and what that could mean to them, what they could do if they could do what Jesus was able to do. But the power of God was not used to make a more comfortable life for Jesus. And he took no earthly privileges being God's son. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. Who am I? See, that didn't make sense to them because wouldn't if you were the king of all kings, the king of all time, the, the, the very son of God, wouldn't you act more like a prince among men, act like royalty? But Jesus didn't exploit or leverage his power and privilege for himself. A king would have a coronation ceremony and everyone would recognize his lordship. But Jesus would soon be crowned not with oil or jewels and not with a beautiful robe and pomp and circumstance but with blood and thorns stripped naked and mocked all the way to the cross and they didn't understand obviously or the people wouldn't have participated but when sin rules the world even attempting to kill God is a possibility and only because God allowed it to happen. God allowed this lamb of God to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. God knows when Jesus dies, new life for everyone is possible. And the sin would no longer completely rule the planet. So the chaos of sinfulness was unleashed by Satan towards Jesus and allowed by God for us. Praise be to the Lord. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. What does John go on to say? Not to condemn the world, because uh, it would be over if we were had to give an account for our sin, but to save the world. You stand with me? Who am I? Who do you think Jesus is? And listen closely, Jesus says, to what I'm about to tell you. The road I'm about to travel is going to be a bloody mess. And if you want to be one of my followers, so will yours. Lord, thank you for giving us your words of truth and for preserving 
these ancient texts for us. Help us, God, to be able to, with the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to be able to infuse these truths into our daily life so that we can walk in a way that brings honor to your name. In Jesus' name. Jesus asked the question, what is everyone saying about me out there? He knows there's been a lot of chatter. Last week we read his popularity is soaring through the roof in Luke chapter 8. Beyond any mob in history because miracles were flowing out of Jesus' body, literally. So he asked his disciples privately, who do people think that I am? And I kind of have this picture of they're walking along and different ones are kind of getting the courage to say what the, you know, rumor has it, mm, mm, rumor has it. You know, they're going to say what, you know, what's been going on there. And some say, you know, I picture like one, some say you're John the Baptist, alive from the dead. Another one says, I heard a lot of people think you're Elijah. Come back. Because the scripture talks about Elijah coming before the Messiah. Another one says, uh, I've heard Jeremiah. Still, still another. Lots of folks think, think you're one of the prophets of old sent by God. But what about you? Who do you think I am? And that's where Peter pipes out, you know, in his big, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I just have flashbacks to my glory of Easter musical days. And one year I was Peter, and that was my big line there. I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Christ. Okay. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It was really cool. Just use your imagination. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am, Peter? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus strictly warns him not to tell anyone. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. I mean, the whole group of them, all of, all of these people that are supposed to be these really wise uh, spiritual leaders that you know, pile them all together and he's going to be rejected by all of them and must be killed and on the third day raised to life. We find out later after Jesus rises from the dead that these words then come back to that they kind of forgot them. But when Jesus appears to them again and reminds them, it's like it's quickened by the Holy Spirit uh, because, you know, at that time, they just couldn't process all the things that Jesus was saying, and obviously no one could understand at that time. He goes on, then he said to them, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I'm going to tell you a secret. Give you the inside on this, okay? So I don't want you to tell anyone. I, 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 I am the one who is spoken about. But, and I'm going to ascend up into my throne by dying 
And then I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you want to follow me and be my disciples, you have to die as well. Jesus was so popular among the crowds when he, when he did those tangible miracles, that went manifest miracles that they could touch, that they could taste, that they could feel. But when it got down to the nitty-gritty, he said, pick up your cross and die to yourself. And in the end, it was just his disciples and a few other followers. That mass falling away from Jesus' ministry happened in his last weeks. As Jesus was approaching the cross, the giant crowds who were cheering him, who were pressing in to touch him, had turned away, had turned against Jesus. And Jesus is telling his disciples, this is the road that you must follow, that you will have to deny yourself. This isn't, isn't a popular concept, and modern interpreters like to highlight the the positive words within the gospel that we find, that you'll have an abundant life in Jesus, that there are blessings of God awaiting you, that you'll be blessed in your life to overflowing when you know the Lord. And, but, but the beauty of a life of denial and sacrifice is kind of with a little asterisk in really small printing on the backside of the brochure in our modern Christianity, it seems like. Instead, we like to highlight which are truths. You're, you're a child of the king. You're, you're royal priesthood. You're a holy people. You've been chosen. And it's all true, but you've been chosen to walk the same path that he did, the way of the cross. Listen to the process of John MacArthur. He says, taking up one's cross is not a mystical level of selfless, deeper spiritual life that only the religious elite can hope to achieve, nor is it the trials and hardship that all persons in life experience. A cross is not having an unsaved husband, a nagging wife, a domineering mother-in-law, nor is it having a physical handicap or suffering from an incurable disease. To take up one's cross is simply to be willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. It's the willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even to die for his sake. To the people of Jesus' day, the cross was a concrete and vivid reality. Like to us, like we don't see crucifixions. They're not a part of our day. You know, we see it portrayed. We see drama of it. But this was an instrument of execution reserved for Rome's worst enemies. It was a symbol of torture and death that awaited those who dare to stand up or raise their hand against the Roman authority. And not many years before Jesus' arrival, in Caesarea Philippi, over, there are over a hundred crucifixions that are confirmed historically in that era. A century earlier, Alexander Janus had crucified 800 Jewish rebels at Jerusalem. And after the revolt that followed the death of Herod the Great, 2,000 Jews were crucified by the Roman proconsul Verus. Crucifixions on a smaller scale, really common. 
It's estimated that some 30,000 crucifixions had occurred under the Roman authorities during the lifespan of Jesus himself. So when the disciples and the crowd heard Jesus speak of taking up your cross, it wasn't a mystical kind of concept in their minds because they were able to picture probably friends and family members and relatives of theirs. They pictured a poor condemned soul walking along a road carrying the instrument of execution on his own back. A man who took up his cross began his death march carrying the very beam that he would hang on. And there was no way there was going to be a stay in his execution. When you picked up that cross, it was, it was the end. And for a disciple of Jesus to take up his cross and be willing to start a death march, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be willing in his service to suffer indignities, the pain, and even the death of a condemned criminal. To be great in the arenas of our modern American idols, you know, you hear it all the time. Like, how did you accomplish this in business? How did you accomplish this in sports? How did you accomplish this in the in the you know in in your field of study as a, as an actor or as a musician? To be great in in these circles, it takes discipline and training and preparation, right? You, a lot of them can get there on just sheer talent for a little while, right? But to be the best of the best, to have the staying power in industry and in, in, in the popular arts, you, got, you have to deny yourself. And you have to work and work and work. Some treat their bodies like a temple. They don't carelessly eat whatever they want and when they want to, to be the greatest of all time. In sports, I mean, anybody can have a flash of brilliance, one great fight, one lucky punch, one hit song, right? One lucky ticket. But if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, and here's the awesome thing, it's, it's open to everyone. And it doesn't come down to your talent, your gifts, your looks, your last name. But you want to be great in the kingdom? It's open to everyone, not just the gifted. It's open to anyone, anyone willing to deny themselves, pick up their cross, and give their life. I don't speak French, but the name is Charlemagne. Charlemagne. And he was the king of France in the late 8th and ninth centuries. And was crowned emperor of a burgeoning kingdom throughout Europe. It was after the Greek and the Roman empires were, you know, and after that New Testament era was a, a distant memory. That it, this new force arrived in Europe. His name, Charlemagne. It meant Charles the Great, or also Carl the Great. I never thought of Carl coming from Charles before, but... Does in France anyway? 
And Charlemagne was, after his death and his popularity and his reign, his body was sealed away in a chapel that he had built himself. It was an octagon chapel and, uh, called the, the Palatine. Palatine. 186 years after his death, officials from the Emperor Otto III had ordered his tomb to be reopened again. And a couple priests were sent in there. And before them was this amazing cryptic site. Because there, still seated on his throne, was Charlemagne, Charles the Great. His skeleton was still sitting on the throne with his crown intact, scepter still in the grasp of his barren metacarpals, are they? Yeah, right? Tarsals are the feet? Yeah. Surrounded all around his throne, priceless jewels and gems and gold, and there was a busk, a little statue busk of, that was carved of, of, of himself laying on the ground next to him. On his lap, on his lap was a Bible open to the Gospels. And one of his bony fingers was resting on the very words of Jesus that said, what profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? We're here today because Jesus had given us the secrets to the kingdom. To be retold and retold all around the globe by his disciples, us. And he's still calling us on this mission to die to ourselves, to be willing to suffer the shame, the embarrassment, the mockery, the classless, clueless attacks of the world for his sake. Will you stand with me? Because it's often considered as rude in our culture. You simple-minded, Bible-thumping, politically incorrect But never forget Jesus' words. So what? If you navigate through this world and you get a big pile for yourself, you get everything that you, you want in this world, so what if you've lost your soul to the things of this world? Will you bow your heads with me? Father, today, would you just uh, examine our lives Nothing, nothing uh, hermeneutically or homiletically brilliant today about this message, but simply, Lord, again, remind us of the cost. Remind us of the sacrifice. Remind us, Lord, of what's at stake. Our eternal Life, Lord, is at stake. And we're here for this little whisper, this little tiny window. Father God, would you examine our hearts and our lives? Would you hear our 
our confessions all around this room of, and I don't know what they may they might be, and maybe, maybe you're carrying a really heavy load, and 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 today, I, you know, just take this moment right now, in this last pause, in the last couple minutes of our gathering, to talk honestly with the Lord. Maybe you've been griping. Maybe you've been complaining. Maybe you haven't been filled with thanks and praise for what he has done for you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. God, continue to challenge us this day as the day goes on, this week, the hours, the minutes, the moments. And if you give us, if it's your will, if you give us weeks and months and years, may they all be dedicated to your higher purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Take someone to lunch. Invite somebody over. Build relationship. Lord bless you.